Asshole Court is a bi-weekly podcast in which a group of lifelong friends choose a controversial public figure and examine their history through available public records and various publications to determine if that person is as much of an asshole as the general public suspects. We rate the subjects on a not-so-scientific scale, ranging from Mr. Rogers to Hitler, 1 to 11, and average out the three scores in the end for our final number. Just a reminder, our judgment has no legal weight, is strictly an opinion, and is subject to change at any time, especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't. We Americans have had a fixation with Australians for years. The country is roughly the same size as ours. The culture feels both familiar and yet alien. We're so fascinated that we have a stupid chain restaurant themed around Australia that has nothing Australian about it at all, save for the random boomerang or kangaroo crossing sign pinned to the walls. The Australian accent is fun, the slang is amazing, and besides the veritable army of killer animals and plants that inhabit the continent, the Aussies themselves feel very warm and welcoming to us. Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter, or Mick Crocodile Dundee, for example. Charming individuals. But is it possible that Australia also spawns not just monster animals like the great white shark, or the saltwater crocodile, or the blue-ringed octopus, but also monster men? No, I'm not talking about Mel Gibson. We already did a show on him anyways. I'm talking about a man that affects your life more than you probably realize. I'm talking about Rupert Murdoch. Since the 1950s, Rupert Murdoch has worked to amass one of the largest media empires in history and has been considered the man behind the curtain, politically speaking, in nearly every country that his empire's tentacles touch. Is he as diabolical as some make him out to be? Or is he just a shrewd and calculating businessman who has been demonized unfairly by the haters? Well, put down that newspaper, turn off that cable news network, and listen up as we dive in on the most powerful Australian to ever live, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine included, on this episode of... All right, before we get into preliminary scores, we want to give a shout out to our boy, Important Fancy Man from the AHC Podcast subreddit for drafting up an awesome AHC show page for the website TV Tropes. It was really amazing and thorough and cool to see, so thank you for that. And everyone go check it out because, I mean, honestly, it is I, just, badass. I had a fun time reading yeah. it and I was like, wow, it's just kind of interesting that people uh, have any interest in what the fuck we do. <laughs> so yeah. not only is he important... But he is fancy. also fancy. Yeah. You should see his work. Yeah. And also, yeah, yeah, like uh, go to the subreddit. We've talked I was talking with somebody about that the other day and they're like, I'm I'm only on Reddit. That's my only social media. And I'm like, same here, man. So, you know, guys jump on there because uh I don't know. I like the platform. We also want to give a shout out to all the folks dropping five star ratings and reviews for the podcast, including Jagen, who threw us off initially with a review title that said <laughs> awesome, a review that said hilarious and addicting, and then somehow a one star rating, which had me scratching my head for a minute there. But Jagen went back and adjusted it to a five star rating, which made me feel less crazy. So thank you, Jagen. Yes. And so when that review came through our email, Mikey, uh, we sent Mikey sent a group text. He's like, this mother have fucker have a stroke or something. Yeah. 
<laughs> I was like, it's awesome, but one star? Yeah. What? What's then, up with that? Yeah. Then he fixed it. And I was like, ah, oh, thanks. I'm glad you can do that. Yeah. But we're getting a lot of really great reviews, and uh, those uh, make our day. I mean, honestly, I love uh, reading a really good five star review, and um, you know, it also helps promote the show in the uh, all the algorithms of you know Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all that shit. Yeah, 100. percent We really appreciate it. It does help move us forward and make the show a little bit bigger. And you know. The bigger it is, the longer we can do this. So, that's no, right. we really appreciate it, you guys. So, that's what thank she you. said. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Also, big ups to Matty Rubes for this show idea. He suggested old Rupert Murdoch back in January. And with the new season of Succession about to kick off, it was a great time to do this show. Nice. Yeah. Good call, Matty Rubes. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to this one for sure. Now, let's get to preliminary scores. All right, Randy, what you got? All right. So, everybody knows Fox, right? Well, so I guess if you don't know, I mean, I don't want to bury the lead here, but uh, Rupert Murdoch started Fox, right? Yep. Fox News, everything Fox related, yep. TV. So like you were talking about, Mikey, if you don't understand how much this guy may impact your life and you don't even realize it. Yeah. Uh, I know he's been doing it a long time. I don't know a lot about any of the dirt mm-hmm. that may come up on it. I can guess pretty educatedly that educatedly. I don't know if, that, I don't know if that's even a <laughs> we're word. We're going to use it as a word this time. <laughs> We'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, as, as, especially when I'm making an adjective as to how smart my guess is. Based yes. Off of context well, you turn it into an adverb as well, educatedly. <laughs> with with it being Fox News, I would imagine he bears pretty hard right um, on some of his political takes. Yep. So I guess pre-show, you know, to get to that kind of level, I know you got to step on some toes. I'm going to start him out. Oh, gosh. 6.35, I think. Okay, 6.35. 6.35. From Randy sure. on Rupert Murdoch. And, buddy, what do you got? All right, for me, um, I really don't know too much about Rupert Murdoch. I mean, I've watched a lot of Fox television over my, my days. Mm-hmm. Um, And, I mean, are we talking about, like, I'm guessing this goes all the way back to, like, the In Living Color, Married with Children, mm-hmm. Simpsons time? Yeah. yeah, all the Fox Entertainment stuff was, was him. Okay, so um, they were definitely pushing the envelope. That's the one thing that I remember growing up is that Fox always seemed to be pushing the envelope Yeah, when we were growing up. Certainly. And there was most of the shows that I was not allowed to watch happened to be on that line channel. Stepper. Yeah, the actual exactly. line stepper. Exactly. So, um, but... I, I don't know about the man himself. Um, I really don't. As he doesn't fly in any of my news circles or anything like that. So I just really don't know too much about him. I watched maybe um, one or two episodes of Succession yeah. and just never really got, I just couldn't really get into it. Yeah. I love um, that show. I'm so excited about the new season. It's, yeah. Uh, to me, it's it's just, it just blows my mind how much the budget has to be for that show for the fucking sets and shit. You're like, oh, yeah. well, we're going to do a whole... Uh, uh, like uh, one episode on a super yacht, and then this one will be at a giant mansion or whatever. But you have to do it because it is like it's that type of wealth is unimaginable to most people, right? Yeah. So, um, I'm interested to see what we're gonna uncover about him today here in the courtroom. But yeah. with me not knowing anything about him, I'm just gonna split the uprights. I figure the guy that is the head of or the CEO of Fox and mm-hmm. just other um, businesses as well, like Randy alluded to, has stepped on some toes or done some things that has gotten him up there to the top. So, yeah, I'm going to split the uprights with the 5.5 right off the rip. All okay. right. We'll see where we end up by the end of the show. Sweet. 5.5 for Buddy Mikey. What you got? Okay. Um, uh, super familiar with this guy. I've been following him for a long time. If you have an interest in politics, it's impossible not to be aware of who he is and what he does, regardless of which side of the aisle you fall on. 
incredibly influential, powerful person that, uh, and that spans the globe. It isn't just the U S now, obviously we're, you know, Americans, so it's U S centric, but when you really dig into it and, and, and his background and everything like that, you realize that, like I said, his empire's tentacles are everywhere in the like Anglican world, right? Like if you're, you know, Australia, the UK, uh, the United States, Canada, to some extent, all the English speaking countries. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And I mean, he has more beyond that. To be perfectly honest, this show could have been fucking 12 hours, but uh, I don't believe that Randy or buddy would love to sit here for 12 hours uh, while I go through this. <laughs> but, uh-uh. <laughs> but so we just sort of narrowed it down to the greatest hits. I am not a fan of Rupert Murdoch. Uh, anybody listening to the show probably has a good idea of that by now. So I'm going to score him at a seven to start. Ooh, coming out the gates hot. Seven to start. Yeah. Man. Mike, you don't like Rupert. I don't. I don't. But also, I, you know, familiar with the guy anyway. So, you know, it's not like I'm going to be like, oh, shit, there's a whole bunch here I didn't know. And now it's going to be a fucking 11. <laughs> All right. With a 6.35 from Randy, a 5.5 from Buddy. And a 7.0 from Mikey, Rupert Murdoch's pre-show asshole score is a 6.28. All right, 6.28 coming in just between Jake Paul and Nancy Grace. Jake Paul is a 6.2. Nancy Grace is 6.33. He splits the difference. Rupert Murdoch pre-show, 6.28. And isn't Nancy Grace on the Fox network? No, she was actually on CNN and like Oxygen and some other shit like that. Oh, okay. She wasn't ever on Fox. Never on Fox that I'm aware of. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. She seems the type. But yeah, I can see that. And uh, Jake Paul just lost his first fight. Not All too right. Long ago. All good, right. Good on you, Tommy Fury. Uh, honestly, if he had lost that, that would have been bad for him. <laughs> All mean, right. All right. Sounds good. You guys ready to uh, jump into the news about Rupert Murdoch? Let's let it roll. Okay. Keith Rupert Murdoch is born in Melbourne, Australia on March 11th, 1931, making him now approximately a million years old. <laughs> Hang on. So his name is Keith. Keith. And he chose to go by Rupert. Keith Rupert Murdoch. If Man. you have the option between going by Keith or Rupert, nine times out of ten, you're going with Keith. That's I true. would assume. Well, here in the States, I wonder if that's just something that's like Australian. They're more Rupert. It's also a power move. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, fuck you. <laughs> Call myself whatever I want. His mother was a convict assigned to the Australian uh, penal colony, and his father was a crocodile hunter who would eventually move to New York, where a young female reporter wrote an expose of his life before falling in love with him after he stopped a purse snatching by throwing a can of soup at the robber. (laughs) I'm kidding, of course. His mother was a British noble and philanthropist, and so was his father, who most certainly didn't live the plot line of the 1986 classic movie, Crocodile Dundee. (laughs) You call that a knife? That's not a knife. That's not a knife. Side note, I couldn't remember for sure if it was a soup can that Mick Dundee threw at the robber in the great film, Crocodile Dundee. So I went to look the scene up on YouTube, and lo and behold, in my YouTube search history, there was already a search made at some point for (laughs) Crocodile Dundee soup can robbery scene, which means that I have looked it up before, likely years ago, and drunk. I don't fully understand myself as a human being. (laughs) That's awesome. Anyway, let me just note here that this is going to be about Rupert Murdoch, of course, but the whole story stretches outside of his linear life and into the realities of what was and is and will become of the Murdoch family dynasty and media empire. Like all of his kids and stuff like that. That's right. Yeah, they feature in succession. Mm -hmm. 
because they seem like a bunch of whiny brats, stupid whiny brats in the show, just even from the one or two episodes I watched. Yeah, you, you got to get past those first couple episodes, then it all starts clicking into place. It's, it's like The Wire or something like that. You're, you're like, everybody's like, it's a great show, but it is like, initially you have to like sort of like do the work to get into it and then it clicks and you're like oh shit this is fucking great that's how it was uh for me with breaking bad like, yeah, yeah, yeah it took like yeah. five or six episodes yeah. to really get into it and then it yeah man to be honest up. all all my favorite shows have been like that mad men took me like three attempts to get into the wire like i knew everyone's like just get to like episode five or six and you're like oh, is it and then it clicks and then the same thing with Succession. Initially, I was like, I don't know, you know, it's whatever. But one I, show I watched recently, I couldn't get into that everybody loved is White Lotus. Oh, you yeah, haven't even tried. Yeah, it. no, I've, I watched the first season and uh, I was just waiting for the big end and just I, there was no real big fizzled. End. Yeah, yeah. Either, I mean, something happened at the end of season one. You're like, something happened, you know. But it wasn't. I don't know. Everybody like made it out to be this just great show and it was, didn't it was live right. up to the hype. No, every episode kind of drug along. That's how like Dexter was for me. It was like, you gotta watch it, and no, I just couldn't get into it. Anyways, Rupert Murdoch, uh, his father began his career as a legitimate journalist in Australia covering the Parliament. In 1915, he moved to England and took up as an editor and eventually a war correspondent covering World War I. And this is where he makes a name for himself, by calling out the absurdity of British military leadership on their disastrous efforts in Gallipoli. He becomes prominent amongst uh, media figures and British politicians and royalty alike, even having a mentor in Lord Northcliffe, who I have no idea who he is, but I'm sure he was important, wore a monocle, and pleasured himself with a velvet glove he kept in a mahogany box. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking Lord Heathcliff over here, yeah. like a pompous cat or something. Yeah, I'm thinking Lord like, Northcliff. I'm thinking Lord Northface, and he had nice jackets. Yes, <laughs> yes, he did. Stayed warm. Anyway, after the war, Murdoch returns to Melbourne. This is Keith Murdoch. This is his father. Senior. That's Yes, correct. Keith Murdoch returns to Melbourne and takes up residence at the Herald as the chief editor. And it's here that Keith really sharpens his craft for media success. He focused on political controversy, but he also made the Herald influential in other ways through such devices as improved arts coverage and celebrity contributions. So that's sort of the playbook. Yeah, I was about to say that sounds like what's going on right now. You kind of scale up the celebrity mm-hmm. and just the drama. Yeah, exactly. That was like political controversy and celebrity news slash gossip. That sounds familiar. Yeah, it's all that dominates the news right Mm -hmm. now. Anyway, from his uh, position with the Herald, Keith begins acquiring newspapers all over Australia, first taking over the Register, then the Adelaide News, the Daily Mail, and the long-forgotten Daily Bogan, the most popular paper amongst Aussie bludgers and cunts. (laughs) (laughs) Now, is this like a mattress factory style, like where they're just acquiring, he's acquiring all the other... Businesses yeah. just yeah, kind of buying up Adelaide, newspapers. Yeah, like Adelaide's a pretty big city. Adelaide's I've heard big. Of it. Yeah. yeah, they're just you're acquiring, you're sort of consolidating, and it's whatever it is, you know. But uh, the Daily Bogan is not a real newspaper. <laughs> a Bogan <laughs> to anybody that is our Aussies that are listening are probably laughing at this, but a Bogan in uh, Australian uh, lingo is uh, basically what we would call a skank. Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like white nice. trash. Hey, you fucking Bogan. <laughs> That's why I was, they also are called, yeah, you know, they're like the daily skank. skank. (laughs) Side note, I looked up Australian slang to make up that last paper because the Aussies are absolute kings of wild ass slang. And it's worth it to drop just a couple more examples here. I love it. According to this page I found, they call kids at the beach shark biscuits, (laughs) shark (laughs) biscuits. And a sex fiend is known as a root rat, <laughs> which which is great. 
to be honest, I was in Costa Rica one time and I was hanging out at this hostel and there was an Australian dude there and we were hanging out and drinking and I was just like, you've got to tell me some of your fun, fun Aussie slang. I love it. And he was just like, uh, let me think about it. And he was like, well, you know what root it is? And I was like, no. He was like, if you root a bitch, you fuck it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, I get it. All right, that's your root. I see. Okay, yeah. So when her. I saw root rat, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> love it. Aussies are fucking awesome, man. Anyways, by the early 30s, Keith has uh, become a powerful man in Australia. He pushes his papers to campaign against the Labor Party government of James Scullin. Ooh, did Labor have a U in it? Labor? Uh, you know, actually, in uh, this one, it didn't, but it should probably. Uh, yeah. Instead, uh, he offers uh, support to Joseph Lyons, who would successfully defeat James Scullin to become the prime minister in 1931, the same year that Rupert is born. Lyons earlier had helped Keith overcome regulatory restrictions to start a radio station for his company in Adelaide. So that's cool. And that is going to happen a lot throughout this story. Sounds like it. Keith receives a knighthood in 1933. Doesn't hurt to have a prime minister in your back pocket, I suppose. Right. He has some regrets later about supporting Lyons and allegedly said of the prime minister, quote, I put him in there and I'll put him out. Oh, wow. Yeah. Kind of godfather-ish. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, understandably, some Australians at this point are expressing their concerns about the dangers of concentrating massive amounts of press power in the hands of one individual because, yeah, it's not great. One critic wrote that he was creating, quote, a press dictatorship for all Australia with Murdoch-inspired leaders and Murdoch-trained reporters. Hmm. And beyond the questionable reality of a powerful media monopoly, there were other issues. Bound up with Keith's business interests were ideological inclinations, not just about how power should work, but also about who should be allowed to exercise it. He was a member of the Eugenic Society of Victoria, and in an editorial once wrote that the great question facing Britain was, quote, will she, if needs be, fight for a white Australia? Oh, no wow. Yeah. We've talked about this on the show a good number of times, but like eugenics was incredibly popular in the very, very beginning of the 20th century. Eugenics ultimately yeah. spun itself out into the Holocaust. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and, sure. and smaller amounts, uh, smaller measures became how they were, uh, you know, making people like the native Americans in the United States, not be able to have children. They were sure. It's not good. It's not yeah. good. But at the time, especially like late, late 19th century, early 20th century, all of the great minds were all about eugenics. Right. That's insane. It is. That was just a hundred years yeah. ago. Yeah. It's hard to kind of wrap right. your head around That's it, insane. right? That's insane. Yeah. It was It was considered good science. Like phrenology, where they were like, we can tell if you're a criminal based on the shape of your head. It's fucking <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But at the time, you know, it's I, of, I often wonder, like, what are we going to, like, our, our grandchildren going to look back on and be like, what the fuck were they thinking? God, I know. Yeah. Definitely going to be climate change while they <laughs> float around in, in rafts. Why did they not stop this? I don't understand. It was so fucking obvious. The writing was on the wall. I know. I know. Like Their ski seasons keep getting shorter and they just couldn't quite figure it out. But putting that terrifying racist reality aside... Keith's grip on power only tightened as he moved beyond just papers at that point. As I mentioned earlier, he'd begun buying radio stations as well. Man, he's getting up all the channels. All the media. Yeah. And nothing stops Keith's consolidation of media power in Australia except his own mutated biology. In 1952, Sir Keith succumbs to cancer, and the reality of his financial situation is exposed as a bit more precarious than anyone thought, apparently. Uh-oh. Oh. From a New York Times article I found, quote, Though Sir Keith had been chief executive of one of the nation's largest newspaper chains, he held little stock, and death duties ate up most of that. 
The Murdoch family was left with a tired pair of newspapers in the southern Australian city of Adelaide and a radio station in a remote Broken Hill. Man, sounds like a, another Murdoch family that's been in the news recently. That's true. Everybody's watching that one. Yep. This isn't the same Murdoch family? No, no, no. no, 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 no. This is the Murdoch murder case or whatever is huge. In like, it was in South Carolina here just a couple years ago. We are not of relations. <laughs> we are not. <laughs> Interestingly enough, at the time of his father's decline, Rupert Murdoch is attending Worcester College in Oxford, England, where he is studying philosophy, politics, and economics. And at this point in his life, Rupert Murdoch is basically a full-on fucking commie. Oh, wow. Really? He has a bust of Vladimir Lenin in his dorm room, was a member of the Oxford University Labor Party, and actually stood for secretary of the Labor Party. He's so deep in it that his nickname in college was Red Rupert, which... In my juvenile mind, sounds like some kind of freaky sex act. <laughs> Red Rupert, Red Rupert. <laughs> Johnny right over. It sounds like something awful that nobody really wants to participate in, but everybody likes to laugh about. I got this Taiwan hooker. She did a Red Rupert on me. I was hammered. <laughs> but in his off time, he's also working part-time at the Melbourne Herald and is ultimately being groomed by his father to take over the family business. When Keith kicks off... Rupert has to come home to a decimated business empire that has mostly dissolved into thin air, shuffle off that thin red socialist veneer, and attempt to return the Murdoch media empire back to its former glory. From that same New York Times article, quote, says a friend, that experience taught him the importance of 51% control. Rupert set out to accomplish what his father had not. First, he talked to uh, Sir Keith's longtime friend, the capricious Lord Beaverbrook, into, <laughs> into letting him apprentice as a $40 a week sub-editor on the London Daily Express. Then, at age 22, Murdoch went home to help run the Adelaide News and Sunday Mail. The capricious Lord Beaverbrook sounds like a chapter in a Harry Potter novel. I'm just saying. Capricious Lord Beaverbrook. That's it. I've been having a hard time focusing on anything besides Beaverbrook since you said it. Those British royalty names are like the noble names are fucking hilarious. Lord Beaverbrook. (laughs) How do you take yourself seriously? Call me Queen Pussy River. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. Great. (laughs) Rupert went from telling the workers. <laughs> You're <all> right. <laughs> no matter how bad this show could possibly get, it was saved by that line. <laughs> came out of nowhere, too. Nailed the landing. Stuck the landing. Hands up. Give me all your money. Well, enough money for a cheeseburger from the value menu, at least. We are now live on Patreon. Find us there at patreon.com slash podcast to get all the latest episodes of Conspiracy Court, ad-free shows, shout-outs, stickers, and a whole lot more. It would be a crime if you didn't. Big thanks to all our fans, and we appreciate all your support. Let's dive back into the action. Anyways, it's always mind-blowing to see what would seem like a deep-rooted political and ethical belief go up in a puff of smoke when the rubber meets the road. Rupert went from telling the workers of the world to unite to, well, the head of the largest and most influential right-wing media empire ever seen in human history. That's a little bit of a paradigm shift there. It really is. Yeah, Yeah, right? It happens a lot. It's strange when you see that. Um, I can't think of, off the top of my head, uh, another show topic we had where the person did the same thing. 
Either way, uh, the good news for Rupert is that he still has some business assets to work with, and he has the luxury of learning from his father's mistakes. And he also has another questionable asset, or habit, I should say. Rupert Murdoch is an unabashed gambler. Uh-oh. All right. He loves to play the Australian Outback version of Alleyway Craps. It's a game called Two Up, which is honestly nothing more than flipping two coins at once. Two heads you win, two tails you lose, one of each, toss again. As Murdoch is quoted by his biographer, one-time London journalist Simon Regan, I love to play it. You bet on a run, you go in with a couple of quid, and two, four, eight, you double it all the time. If you're betting on, say, heads, you can make hundreds if you get a good run. Then it comes down to tails, and you're all through. The real game is the gamble on exactly when to stop. Yep. Oh, wow. It's eh, I would say it's kind of like roulette, but... Yeah, that's what I was, I was either black or red yeah. roulette, Yeah. you know? Every once in a while, I hit green. You're like, fuck, I know. son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. I always try to split the zeros with one on the board. Yeah. I usually do 10 or 20 on the board and then 10 on black or red. I, I, I got into the Martingale method at one point and it was like, this is a fucking no-brainer. You just continue to bet up. You bet on black and you double your bet all the way until it hits black because you're like, it's me being a fucking idiot at that time i was like you know it has to happen you just have to have enough money to get to the point where it's where it whatever hits, yeah and it did work for a couple days and i was like dude i just made like three or four hundred bucks just fucking bullshitting and then it went bad and then all of a sudden you're just totally busted and uh don't do that it's called the martingale <laughs> method and it does not work uh for extended periods of time some point you will hit a streak where you you have you're you're running out of money on the on the twelfth play and it'll hit fucking red thirteen times in a row. I promise you. Yep. And Rupert applies this seemingly reckless, although arguably calculated, penchant for gambling into his campaign to return the family empire to its former and ultimately greater glory. After settling into Adelaide News and Sunday Mail, Murdoch begins making acquisitions. In 1956, he bought a Sunday paper in Perth for four hundred thousand. Then four years later, spent $4 million for a racy tabloid, the Sydney Daily Mirror. Ooh, sounds racy. Man, he's like 25 years old buying $4 million companies back in the 50s. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. Like I said, uh, Keith went broke, but broke like a rich guy goes broke. Yeah. Right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. just like, it was like, damn. Honestly, a normal person would be like, I'm pretty good. I'm sad. You know, I'll just a couple of newspapers, a yeah. radio station. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But not him. Not him. And some of these takeovers were not boring P&L statement analysis and attorney agreements and handshakes at all. For instance, when Murdoch outbid a rival publisher for an Anglican church printing plant, the rival tried to occupy the building. Murdoch allies rounded up a gang of hammer-wielding thugs and recaptured the plant after a bloody fight. That's pretty hardcore. Yeah, imagine that. What if I could assemble a squad of hammer-wielding psychos to achieve (laughs) my goals at work? Hmm... I think I'd have quite the HR problems on my hands. Say Becky from the office would That's think it. twice before snapping off that shitty email. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I don't like the tone. Hammer wielding psychos assemble. She gets off at five o'clock. Here's what she drives. I don't know anything about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's a picture of her. That's it. Anyway, following the acquisition of a series of regional Australian papers, he founded the country's first national general interest newspaper, The Australian. The Australian gives him his most powerful platform that he leverages to help elect governments that ease national regulations designed to limit the size and power of media companies. Feedback loops. Here we go. By the time his build-out is complete, Rupert Murdoch controls nearly two-thirds of the Australian national newspaper market. Holy shit. Yeah, that should not be allowed. Yeah, right? (laughs) Ever. Ever. Yeah. (laughs) It's like China. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, essentially. <laughs> With nearly the whole of Australian media firmly under his thumb, Rupert gambles again, turning his attention to the UK. He acquires the news of the world and the sun, and he utilizes his father's playbook by leveraging these two papers to push for the prime minister candidacy of Margaret Thatcher. Huh. We're all aware of who she is. Yeah. Well, most of us are. What's well, funny that... No. 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 She was... She was like uh, the counterpart to Ronald Reagan in the UK in the, yeah. in the 80s. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah, she was like a hardcore right-winger, uh, you know. And uh, he helped her out get there. Thatch Daddy McDiggs was her That's nickname. Right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, there you go. She wins, of course, thanks at least in part to the fawning coverage offered to her by the two uh, major British publications, and she returns the favor by having her government decline to refer his acquisition of the Times of London to the anti-monopoly regulators, which ultimately gives him the country's leading establishment broadsheet to go with his mass circulation tabloids. Oh, wow. Oh, snaps. Yeah. She's just like, eh, thanks for that, dude. Like, yeah, hey. what you get. Exactly. Yeah. Total quid pro quo. Huh. You know. Wow. Yeah. Newspapers and tabloids under his belt. Politicians in his pocket, Rupert Murdoch pivots to television. His initial attempt, bidding for the uh, British government's sole satellite broadcasting license, failed. So instead, he starts a rival service, Sky Television, which beamed programming into Britain via a station in Luxembourg. His old pal, Margaret Thatcher, turns a blind eye to that effort as well. Huh. Mm-hmm. So Sky News and Sky, when you're over there. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's all him. Interesting. Huh. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Skies, I mean, you go, if you're in a hotel in London and you turn the TV on and the news comes on, Sky. it's either going to be Sky or BBC. BBC. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, one yeah. or two. And that was the whole goal was like BBC was like, that was the only broadcasting license that they had for satellite stuff. And you know, he worked around it and she paid him a favor. Turned a blind eye. That's right. The bigger Murdoch's empire became, the more power he had to clear obstacles uh, to further its expansion. And that's how these things work. By the time you've consolidated messaging power and have politicians align with you for their short-term personal gain, of course, who could stop you? Nobody. Nobody. Yeah. You got the law on your side. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. His influence became an uncomfortable fact of British political life, and Murdoch appeared to enjoy that fact. But that's not enough. On to America. In 1980, Rupert meets Roy Cohn, former advisor to Senator uh, Joseph McCarthy and mentor to none other than Donald Trump. Cohn is plugged in deep with conservative Republican circles, and that included the circle of then-presidential candidate Ronald Reagan. Did you say Roy or Ray Cohn? Roy. Roy Cohn. Ray Cohn was a great man that committed suicide, unfortunately, but was the best Family Feud uh, host that there ever was. That's right. Yep. I was yep. wondering if it was any, uh, yeah, same relation to that guy. No. no. Ray Combs. We are not yep. relation. That's right. Yeah. We love old Ray here yep. on the show. R.I.P. Ray comes. Uh, all of our fans that are under the age of 40 are like, what the <laughs> fuck are these guys talking about? The thing is, this guy was a really good host, and then he killed himself, and it was sad. So, yep. end of story. And one of these inner circle members uh, for Ronald Reagan is a guy named Roger Stone. Oh, wow. Like, maybe you've heard of him. Maybe yeah. once or twice. Yeah. Huh. Stone teams with Murdoch to, quote, weaponize his latest tabloid purchase, the New York Post, to support Reagan's 1980 presidential election uh, bid. And it works. Reagan wins, and that win includes New York, which really was huge. Yeah. Interesting. New York is uh, very democratic, historically. Exactly. And just like in Australia and the UK, the Reagan administration returns the favor, fast-tracking Rupert's application for American citizenship so that he can purchase American television stations, too. Huh. Additionally, the Reagan administration waives a prohibition against owning a television station and a newspaper in the same market, which allows Murdoch to hold on to both the New York Post 
and the Boston Herald why he purchased TV stations in both cities. Oh, wow. Damn. Yeah. And that wasn't supposed to happen, right? That's It really is selective at that point, which is why this is always so incredibly frustrating. Man, and he came with the heat, too. Like, he's buying some big papers and yep. big markets and TV yep. stations. Yeah. And he's playing two up. He's wow. playing his little yeah. game where he's just like, you know, you just run it until you run out. Yeah. Taking the northeast of yeah. the United States back in the 80s. Like, yeah. Uh, a lot of people gamble like this. Most lose. The reason we're talking about him is because he didn't. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yep. To be honest, sometimes I think about the same thing. I'm like, you know, maybe you get a little bit riskier, Mike. <laughs> you know, a <laughs> little riskier. <laughs> but then I, I'm inherently like uh, sort of risk averse. So there's been times where I'm like, man, I'm about to I'm about to just fucking go all in on this. I hesitate. And it's worked out very well for me so far. <laughs> so far. At some point, though, when there's like, you know, there's an asymmetry and upside and downside, that's what I'm really trying to learn. I'm like, you can't fucking lose here. <laughs> Which is like I said, like in the past like year, I'm like, all right, Google Amazon. I was like fucking all in, motherfuckers. There's no way. So far, it's working out slightly. Uh, we'll see how this works out in a couple of years. <laughs> At the same time as all of this, a young upstart from Atlanta, Georgia, by the name of Ted Turner, was building a new news network model, CNN. Its product, nonstop motherfucking news, all goddamn day. That's right. Yep. See, previously, if you wanted to watch the news, you waited till around dinner time, and they'd give you an hour wrap-up uh, of all the day's news events, and uh, you were on to primetime television to decompress with Archie Bunker and some shit. But this new model meant that anytime you wanted to get worked up about what was going on in the world, you just clicked over to CNN and boom, news rush. It's like the original doom scrolling. The model worked amazingly well and CNN became the crown jewel in Turner's own media empire. Rupert Murdoch, being the media whiz that he unfortunately is, realized that there was a market for a 24-hour news network that went beyond just the concept of a fire hose of news, but one that catered especially to conservatives who often complain of being the unpopular kids in the schoolyard. Mm-hmm. He teams with Roger Ailes, a former media advisor to Richard Nixon during his presidency, who had been dreaming of a pro-Republican news outlet since the early 70s. In 1970, he and other uh, Nixon aides came up with a plan to create a new TV network that would circumvent existing media and provide, quote, pro-administration coverage to millions. Quote, people are lazy, the aides explained in a memo. With television, you just sit, watch, listen. The thinking is done for you. Nixon embraced the idea, saying he and his supporters needed our own news from a network that would uh, lead, quote, a brutal, vicious attack on the opposition. So it's very intentional, as uh, it's, it's set out to be and still is today. Propaganda. Right? Yep. Yep. It's right propaganda the without, without, without the name brand. Yeah. You know? Ailes claimed that had this network existed, the Watergate scandal and the Nixon resignation would not have happened. And unfortunately, I tend to agree with him. If you had had a Fox News back then... I don't think that you could convince the public or you could you could at least divide and conquer enough for the public for that resignation not to occur for them to, to, be to tell them that yeah. it isn't that big of a deal because we've seen it here recently with all of the scandals uh, that in the past emails, documents, you all name that it, all the shit. Yeah. Left, you, no matter right, what yeah. it is, you're like, oh, my God, look at this. This is so obviously illegal and bad. And you'll run into somebody that's just like, it's not that big of a deal. You should watch this show. It's uh, it's 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 awful. And Ailes, regardless of anyone's take on him, was a powerful political operator. From a Rolling Stone article on the history of Roger Ailes and Fox News, I found this. Quote, as a political consultant, Ailes repackaged Richard Nixon for television in 1968, 
papered over Ronald Reagan's budding Alzheimer's in 1984, shamelessly stoked racial fears to elect George H.W. Bush in 1988, and waged a secret campaign on behalf of Big Tobacco to derail health care reform in 1993. Quote, he was the premier guy in the business, says former Reagan campaign manager Ed Rollins. He was our Michelangelo. Jesus. Wow. So is he just kind of creating the image and the infrastructure they need to kind of present to the public? Yeah, he was a PR whiz. Okay. He just knew how to fucking, you know, manipulate the message to, like, get the larger public to buy into an idea that most times was not good for them. Sure. You know? I, honestly, I remember the the 93 healthcare debate and stuff like that. And, of course, my dad being a hardcore conservative was just like, oh, this is crazy, the idea that, you know, that, that you would have sort of like a sort of nationalized healthcare and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, it worked wonders. People were like, just pissed off and didn't want it. And I still can't quite understand why people are like, as much as they pay in healthcare and they're like, I don't want to pay taxes for it. And I'm like, you're paying like fucking way more than you normally would. I wonder what the numbers look like for the tobacco companies though. Because I mean, if they went after big tobacco hard in Mm -hmm. like the early Mm nineties, middle nineties, and a lot fewer people smoke than they used to. That's certainly true. Right? Oh, yeah, for I sure. Just they what, moved into different markets, too, though. Yeah. That's when they, the Everybody vapes came. now. Mm-hmm. Everybody fucking vapes. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah. They moved into international markets. And as, as, as Americans, you know, smoking is uh, taboo at this point almost. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it doesn't happen. But if you go to France or you're in Turkey, Italy, stuff like that, was, Italy, yeah. everybody smokes. Everybody smokes. There's ashtrays on the table. Yeah. yeah. So Philip Morris and all those guys, just they just they just pivoted. Let's go to these guys. And also, they know that it is uh, it is a dying habit and to some extent. So they're trying to figure out different things to do and stuff like that. But uh, but yeah, they, they were they were a big part of like shutting down the idea of trying to nationalize like healthcare and stuff like that in 93. Side note here for Randy, though, Roger Ailes was also a key figure in launching the Maury Povet show back in the early 90s. Oh, really? wow. Nice. Yeah. Sort of like how uh, a lot of people aren't aware of this, but Steve Bannon uh-huh. was uh, integral in Seinfeld. Oh, wow. Really? really? He still gets a huge residual checks as a producer for Seinfeld. Steve Man. Bannon? Steve fucking Bannon. The Steve Bannon? The Steve Bannon. Same one. Yikes. I know. <laughs> really? It is a bummer. It is a bummer. Wow. Randy does not like this nah, news like at Larry all. Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld, everybody's like very... Producers are producers at the end of the day. And at that point, too, like Steve Bannon, this is, you know, like early 90s, 30 years whatever ago. it is. Yeah. He wasn't Steve Bannon, Steve Bannon. Yeah. He was just some dude that actually had come out of, uh, I think he was working with Goldman Sachs at the time. Huh. These were the steps that allowed him the fortune to become Steve Bannon. It's true. Right? The Seinfeld money has paid his bills for a long time, man. Huh. Anyways, teamed up with Ailes, Murdoch brought the concept that would become Fox News to reality in 1996. And upon its launch, it quickly became a media juggernaut, rapidly outpacing viewership for its competitor, CNN. That was always that's always the thing they talk about the number one yeah. uh, rated cable news network and stuff yep. like that. And while its slogan from the beginning was fair and balanced, it was obvious to anyone slightly impartial that it was slanted to the right and by design. I mean, you've got Roger Ailes at the helm. That alone tells you what you need to know. Rush Limbaugh himself once said of Ailes and Fox News, "Quote." One man has established a culture for 1,700 people who believe in it, who follow it, who execute it. Roger Ailes is not on the air. Roger Ailes does not ever show up on camera. And yet everybody who does is a reflection of him. Huh. Yeah. So he's just kind of doing the Wizard of Oz thing was from that, behind the curtain. Yeah, yeah. Was that before or after Rush was on Fox, do you know, when he said that? Uh, well, they, I don't know exactly when that quote came from, but 
probably in the 90s when he said that or in the early 2000s when you know Fox was huge and stuff like that. And actually Rush was never on Fox. He had his own um his own show or whatever that was uh, I think it's called like the EIB network or something yeah, like that. Yeah, on the EIB network. He did he did do a TV show for a short amount of time or whatever. It didn't do well. Uh, but I don't remember which he's network that was on. He's got a voice for radio. Oh, he's, look, Rush Limbaugh can fuck right off, but that guy has an amazing voice. Yeah. I, I just remember listening to him, God, in like the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. Megadiddo's Rush. Mm-hmm. On Megadiddo's yeah, Rush. Those, uh, my dad was a fucking huge Rush Limbaugh just fan. syndicated shows, probably. Yeah. Well, yeah, he would do a show every day. And I remember even when me and my dad would just be in the car together, it was, I mean, you know, especially being a, a young age, my early teens and listening to Rush Limbaugh. And if you don't have the context of everything that he's talking about, it's very appealing. And he sells it very well. The voice mm-hmm. is great. And he's just, you know, he again, it makes it's, you feel like an idiot if you don't believe what he's saying. Yeah. yeah. Or, or it just seems like so common sense. You yeah. know, you're like, yeah. oh, it's true. These feminists are fucking assholes. Like, why can't I just like, you know, leer at this lady? You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's something like that. But I, I mean, I remember it like my dad absolutely loved Rush Limbaugh, man. And I got a fucking full dose which is probably why up until I was in my early 20s, I was like, I don't know. I think I'm probably a hardcore conservative. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Murdoch and Ailes News Network is so powerful that it actually creates a documented phenomenon known as the Fox News effect. Named from a 2007 study which found that the introduction of the network on a particular cable system pushed local voters to the right. So. Huh. If you uh, had like you know your local cable for here, it would be like Charter or something like that. Once they picked up Fox, they actually could quantify that the vote shift to the I right moved conservative. over and there. You said this guy wow. wanted um, not Murdoch, but uh, the other guy, Roger Ailes, had wanted this since the seventies. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, yep. he, he knew this was the key oh, yeah. to yeah getting the the vote to swing there. Roger way. Ailes is an interesting character in himself. I read a good bit about it while I was doing the show because this is like I said, this is about Rupert Murdoch, but it's a fucking very tangled web of everybody that's involved, which is why you have guys like Giuliani and Roger Stone and Donald Trump and Roger Ailes, all that stuff. It's, it's, a, it's not a one man show by any stretch of the imagination. No, it's a network of people. Yeah. Yeah. He just happens to be sort of the kingpin of it. You yeah, know, to the string puller. The other strength that the network has is its stickiness, its ability to draw in an audience and keep it there. This is done, at least in part, by having the news personalities constantly remind the audience that they are the only ones telling them the truth and constantly disparaging other news sources as part of the mainstream. Right. Read mm-hmm. liberal agenda. And I remember even as a kid uh, listening to Rush Limbaugh with my dad, that was a constant chorus from him was just like you're only gonna get to hear the real truth from me folks if you go outside of this it's all bullshit which is cult tactics oh yeah, it's, yeah it's sure. literally is like one of the of, of the tactics in that book i read cultish where they're like you just have to tell people that like you know you can only trust me don't even bother looking outside of this i'm trying to tell you i am the one to listen yeah. to i've already researched everything yep it's fucked up you gotta listen to me yeah 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 don't listen to anybody else it, it, it's 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 Unfortunate, but it works fucking wonders, dude. In a 2014 Pew Research poll, a majority of self-described conservatives said it was the only news network they trusted. Jeez, That's it. Wow. Well, and you, we hear, and we've talked about it before, even I think off the show, but people will always kind of funnel towards where they get their news and just stick to that. Yeah. So if you find somebody who just watches Fox News, yep. they watch just that. And I got to brag on my parents a little bit. They mm-hmm. intentionally watch 
news from all different spectrums. Yeah. They they dedicate yep. at least a couple hours yep. to watching different perspectives yeah. of everything. Just to be able to pull everything yep. from yeah. every source. Human beings are uh, flawed in so many ways. And like I think one of the best classes that I ever took in college was critical thinking. That just it really honestly that helped me out so much. But people are they tend to fall into confirmation bias. Yeah. You want to look up information that confirms what you already believe. And so that you have like, you feel like, Oh, I'm totally right. Exactly. Validated is the correct word. Yeah. And, uh, this is a validation writ large, you know? And, and, and if you're constantly being told, like, uh, we're the ones that are telling you the truth, like nobody else is. Or even if you've had that thought and you've never really been able to like get it out correctly. And you hear like, that's what I was thinking the other day. Yep. Yeah. You hear it. You're like, Oh, this guy's, what I think. Yeah. yeah. Isn't this the same stuff that they covered in Freakonomics? Kind of just discussing all of that, like how they would kind of go in and make plays like this and mm-hmm. kind of like sculpt culture and stuff like oh, that? Oh, yeah. I mean, certainly. Uh, the one in Freakonomics was the the names and that one guy named his one son winner and one loser or whatever, you know what I'm saying? So it's like a, it, your assumption is that like it's going to affect your life or whatever. Your confirmation bias kind of kicks in there or whatever. And it turned out to be the opposite. But I mean, I don't know. It's, 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 you know, I constantly have to keep myself from falling into that confirmation bias or whatever. You do have to, um, watch your media diet, yeah. uh, which sounds like it's a, it's a job in itself. It really is. And a lot of people are just very busy and don't have time to sit there and be like, you know what? Like, I really need to sort of like be careful about what I'm like the inputs that I'm giving to myself. Most people don't have the time to do that. And then you also have people that just, it feels good to feel right. Yeah. yeah. And so it's manipulative the way that they play things. And we're going to get into this as we go because it's a very obvious tactic at this point. Sure. And it's funny because, uh, you know, if I'm just kind of quickly checking the news somewhere, I'll usually go to Google or mm-hmm. like Yahoo. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just something quick, like front page stuff. You can see breaking news mm-hmm. or just, you know. And it's so funny because Google just winds up just melding, obviously, to all your the videos you clicked on. So. Oh, yeah. It's a feedback loop, so which now, is why social media yeah. really creates problems because it does create a feedback loop for your interest because it creates engagement. Oh, for sure. And it's magnified the problem so much more than it already was. Well, what the problem with me is I go in to check the news real quick and then I wind up watching an eight-minute poker video about a, a four of a kind getting beat by yeah. a bigger four of a kind. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're yeah, like, holy yeah. shit. Yeah. And then, yeah. yeah. But imagine like, that your interest... seven minutes back. Imagine <laughs> that your interest is not poker but it's sheer politics and like right-wing politics or oh, left-wing God. politics you're gonna get those videos yeah yep. and you're gonna sit there while you take a shit in the morning and you're gonna be like i fucking knew it man i fucking knew it i told you <laughs> nah i just look at my hot weather lady there you go that's right <laughs> the trouble is that as a news network fox doesn't seem to be doing a very good job of educating its audience on issues at all a now somewhat famous study was conducted in 2012 and it worked like this Researchers asked 1,185 random nationwide respondents what news sources they had consumed in the past week and then asked them questions about events in the U.S. and abroad. On average, people correctly answered 1.6 of five questions about domestic affairs, which is horrifying in itself. Wow. But okay. Because the aim of the study was to isolate the effects of each type of news source, they then controlled for variables such as other news sources, partisanship, education, and other demographic factors. They found that someone who watched only Fox News would be expected to answer 1.04 domestic questions correctly compared to 1.22 for those who watched no news at all. Those watching only The Daily Show with Jon Stewart answered 1.42 questions correctly, and people who only listened to NPR or only watched Sunday morning political talk shows answered 1.51 questions correctly. 
The results repeated when they polled on international news. The numbers changed a little bit, but the 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 stack Scale. was the yeah. stack was the same. In either case, Fox News viewers consistently underperformed everyone, huh. including Even the people that didn't listen to any news at all, including people who consumed no <laughs> news at all. Interesting. Yes. Huh. Yeah. Wow. It's the equivalent of like I've lost so much weight from this new diet. It's called cancer. <laughs> A later study conducted by Peter uh, R. LaCory, a Ph.D. candidate at the University of Florida for American Politics Research, found that consuming content from Fox News is associated with decreased knowledge of science and society. Interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's a that's a pretty hot take, in my opinion, because here's one thought that I'll kind of throw out mm-hmm. there is that if you're taking time out of your day to watch the news in general, yep. in my opinion, it usually is people that are a little more like well-rounded and educated mm-hmm. that watch a little bit of the news yeah, right sure trying to keep up with the current cultural things going on or current affairs right so to say that like because someone watches a certain tv station and they think a certain way um makes them dumber i don't think this is what they're saying i think well, also that's, that's kind of what that sounded like to well me, the, right? so what it is at the end of the day though is that it's they go into it without really trying to set a table and when you're when you have you know, 1,200 respondents or whatever. Sure. They're just giving you the data that you're getting back. Right. So is that last comment, I guess, about the decreased knowledge in science and society. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know. Because, yeah. And I guess he did a study, and you may prove me wrong here in a second, but in my opinion, if people are tuning in to watch news right. in general, um, I don't know how they could be getting less about science and society by tuning in to news. It is political news, so they may not know shit about science in general. Well, so right? I don't know. That no, just no, kinda... it's, it's it's a valid like initial thought, I think, or whatever. And actually, like the the study that was done with, like with Lacari was done, I think, almost eight years later, and he mm-hmm. was revisiting that and was saying like, you know, let's let's drill down a little bit more and talk about like what areas that they're missing on. And so the thing is, like, yes, it would seem like, you know, well, I would definitely say science is one they don't really well, uh, I'm saying. talk about much. Yeah. I was, and, and we're about to get into that. But like ostensibly, yes, you would think the people that are wanting to, again, be like in tune with the news and stuff like that are going to necessarily like know more just because they have an interest. But but if they're getting the wrong information and they're not looking at other sources either, if they're only like going down that one funnel and they're being misinformed. Oh, I get then that. Then they miss. I get the that. quality of the information, yeah. but still, it, it would seem to be that even people watching Fox News would get more than the people that just focus on TMZ. I'm just going to put this out there. Like I don't watch Fox News, mm-hmm. but that's that study sounds real. Like I'm going to prove people that watch Fox News are idiots. It kind of yeah. sounds very biased going into it. No, that's fine. I'm just going to throw that out there. And well, like I, said, it, I don't watch Fox News, it so was, it's not like it, I'm defending it. No, but. and that's fine. Like, it was published, which they usually try to like oh, yeah, avoid. Pretty peer reviewed. Yeah, you know, exactly. Stuff. So yeah. Stuff like, like if if the if the study is done correctly and it doesn't feel like it was set up with intentional bias initially, right. Then they'll publish it. And like I said, I'm not defending it at all. Mm-hmm. I just think it got it has to go both ways, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Not everybody who watches Fox News is a fucking raging moron idiot. No. Right? No. By any stretch of the matter. I but know a lot to, of people that watch. Well, like they're so friends, when right? You're, like, when you're, so it, it just when you're setting like, up When you're setting up a, a study, again, you have to set it up so you're discounting that intentional bias if it's done well. I, I can't sit here and, and speak necessarily to how good Lucari's study was set up. I, I can't sit here and tell you I read the entire study and that I'm really good at 
you know, Bayesian statistics to tell you, okay, cool, this makes sense or whatever. But I'm just, this is like bringing it together because like I said, there was another study that was done in 2010 at Stanford University that found that more exposure to Fox News was associated with more rejection of many mainstream scientists claim about global warming and with less trust in scientists. Now that is fucking absolutely true. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. So when he says like science and society, I mean, I don't have a hard time making that leap and saying like, okay. I guess like, the wording was a little off for me. The second one is spot on. Yeah. Right? Like there's no. They don't. Be- there's yeah. only one segment really of the world left that is like climate change isn't real. Right. And they're watching Fox News. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. You know? Anyways, that's all pretty damning if your overarching goal as a news network is to inform an audience. And yeah, I'm sure a few of uh, you are out there thinking, well, what about CNN? They suck too. But I'm not doing a show on Ted Turner here, so just hang tight there, my conservative friends, because eventually we'll do a show on our own hometown billionaire Ted. I promise you. Old Teddy boy. What a great grill he's got. I, you know, Ted Turner is an interesting character. He is. You know, it was interesting when I went and stayed up on Vancouver Island back in like 06, um, for some reason they had on the local TV stations, they had TBS. Yeah, Superstation. Yeah, but I mean, like that is like, 3,000 miles away, you know, so, but it was crazy. I'm up there watching commercials for the big chicken. Power hour, bro. (laughs) Now we used to get, uh, TBS went everywhere, but there was also the one, uh, WGN from Chicago. Chicago. Yep. I remember that. You watched the Cubs games after school. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, being a source of information isn't really all that Fox News is about or any of Rupert Murdoch's media outfits. Honestly, Fox News exists in a kind of gray area claiming to be both a legitimate news network and meaningless entertainment simultaneously. Don't believe me? Take a look at the results of a slander lawsuit regarding Fox News superstar Tucker Carlson back in 2020. Oh, man. Tucker Carlson's a loose cannon. He is. He is. And there was a lawsuit that was brought up against him for slander uh, by one of Donald Trump's mistresses. I can't remember her name. Isn't, uh, wasn't it one of his parents, Tucker Carlson's Yeah, he's parents. from like, I think the Bird's Eye uh, Fortune. Uh, the Bird's Eye like Fortune. The Spro- Swanson Frozen yeah, it's Foods. Swanson. It's Swanson. Swanson. It's yeah. not Bird's Eye. It's Swanson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Swanson. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Swimming. Swimming. Samsonite. <laughs> I was way off. I knew she'd be unlisted. <laughs> U.S. District Judge Mary K. Uh, Olson. <laughs> yes. Actually, I'm like, look at the same. Paterno. Uh, Viscasil's opinion, leaning heavily on the arguments of uh, Fox's lawyer, stated, quote, the general tenor of the show should then inform a viewer that Carlson is not stating actual facts about the topics he discusses and is instead engaging in exaggeration and non-literal commentary. Quote, Fox persuasively argues that given... Mr. Carlson's reputation, any reasonable viewer arrives with an appropriate amount of skepticism about the statements he makes. Whether the court frames Mr. Carlson's statements as exaggeration, non-literal commentary, or simple uh, bloviating for his audience, the conclusion remains the same. The statements are not actionable. So that's a nice position to be in as a news network. You get to maintain the veneer of being a legitimate news organization, but your major personalities are not expected to be taken seriously by the audience. (laughs) If the audience makes the mistake of taking what they say as factual, then that's their own fault, legally speaking. Jeez, man, Alex Jones could have taken a couple pages off of this playbook. Well, we're going to get into Tucker here in a minute, too, because, again, the the curtain is going to be pulled back. Tucker Carlson might be an interesting show topic. It's true. We'll probably do him, too. Cucker Tarlson. Cucker Tarlson, yeah. 
He was on Crossfire and he used to wear bow ties and shit on CNN. Really? And John Stewart murdered him. Oh, nice. <laughs> murdered him. And that was the end of his CNN career. It was so insane. Like, I don't think I could pull off a bow tie. No, you know, no. It takes a Bill Nye, you know, or something like that. I think you like do that. have to have kind of a long, slender look. Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah, have yeah. that. I don't think, I, I mean, I'm slender and I still wouldn't wear a fucking bow tie. Although you're kind of a bow tie guy. No. I can see you in a bow tie. Yeah. No. It would be like a classy bow tie. I don't even know how to tie a bow tie. It would have to be a clip on. Yeah, well, yeah, what's the point? You know, you wear, a fucking, you wear a fucking bow tie. Imagine me showing up to work with a bow tie. And, and like, it's not even worth it. They would be like, what the fuck are you wearing, man? What is it, James Bond? Anyways, uh, sure, this uh, standard could likely be applied to any of the talking heads from any one of the networks, but it's really troubling either way. Like, they're telling you that, like, you have the veneer of being a news network and also that nobody should reasonably expect you to tell the truth. We're fair and balanced, but we don't really tell the truth sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Or we tell the truth, but not all the time. Yeah. And it's up to you to decide when. And if you and if you do it wrong, well, that's your fault. Fair and balanced. Kind of. Sort of. <laughs> Mostly. <And> there, <laughs> there's a long, long list of Fox News controversies. Just go check out the lengthy Wikipedia page for them if you want to. But just recently, we found out how far the deception goes in the back offices of Fox News. And I think this one really paints the picture of just how the sausage is actually made in Rupert Murdoch's most profitable operation, and likely all of them. How many times have you listened to an episode and thought, man, I wish they would have said this? Well, now with our interactive social media pages, you can. Let us know what you think about our show subjects and give us your scores. We'd love to hear from you. Well, most of you, at least. Let's dive back into the action. As many of you will likely remember, leading up to and following the 2020 U.S. presidential election, the Trump administration made numerous claims that the election would be and was stolen from him. I, wait, what? I, I forgot huh? about that whole yeah. story. I know. It's still, it's still yeah. happening. It's still ongoing. God. This claim got plenty of airtime on Fox News via its main stars and the guests that they brought on. Guests like Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani frequented the Fox newsroom to discuss the idea that election machines that were made by the company Dominion had been compromised and had deleted or switched millions of Trump votes to Biden. Good God, Dominion. That was yeah. the name that you just kept on hearing over and over again in this whole thing. The uh, famous Indian mayor, Rudy Giuliani, painted head. This is uh, Indian name. <laughs> Remember when his fucking hair melted? Oh, oh. yeah. That guy. Talk about going from hero to zero, man. Jeez. Man. Yeah. Go listen to our show on that one because yeah. that was a woo. Yeah, it's really a shame. I mean, at a certain point, even I had to respect the guy. And now I'm just like, dude, you are a clown. You are a fucking clown of yourself. And you've destroyed yourself. That one picture of like his eyes all big and the hair paint running oh, down his yeah. face. Oh, it's all bad. Craziness, dude. dude. A lot of these claims about like Dominion uh, voting machines. So fucking tired of hearing of it. Uh, they, but they got downright outlandish. Oh, just ridiculous. Insane. Yeah, and the poor sure. company too. Like they, yeah. I mean, well, this is where it comes from because you know, at the end of the day, they're a multi-billion-dollar company, and uh, you fuck with them. About to find out. <laughs> fuck around and find out. <laughs> Fafo. As, Fafo. Uh, yeah, yeah. Find out. Trump and others made up unsubstantiated claims that Dominion had close ties to the Clinton family or other Democrats. 
Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, who we've made fun of for his uh, melting clown head, made several false assertions about Dominion, including that its voting machines use software developed by a competitor, Smartmatic, which he claimed actually owned Dominion, and which he said was founded by former socialist Venezuelan leader Hugo Chavez. Wow. Giuliani. Uh, Stretch. Yeah. Giuliani also falsely asserted that Dominion voting machines sent their voting data to Smartmatic at foreign locations and that it is a, quote, radical left company with connections to Antifa. Wow. Which, if you guys aren't, yeah. All right, I, I don't know. I it, just remember, like, when we go to vote here, where we live, mm-hmm. you go in, you show your ID, you get your car, they record your shit, you get a card yep. that you then go insert into the voting machine. It brings up the ballot. Yeah. You use your little pointer. Yeah. It prints the ballot with yeah. all your votes on it. You can check it. You can check it. And then you walk over to the shredder yeah. and you put it in and it counts your ballot yeah. and scans it and shreds it. Yeah. And then you walk out. I, I just, I guess, sure, that data can go anywhere. But it's, the, I, it's so the idea the also that, that, that they're fucking tied into Antifa. Antifa couldn't fucking hold a birthday party for kids at McDonald's, bro. <laughs> they can't even hold anything together. I'm dead serious. It's so funny. They they treat them like they're so organized and shit. There's some fucking rando dudes that show up in like black shit and they're like, I, I'm going to fucking fist fight these uh, proud boys. Right. It's like but, kicking but, an ant bed. Yeah. yeah. It's just it's just stupid. But it's always like Antifa's like there's some it's I, anyways. Look, none of this is true. Of course, <laughs> rational people knew this on November 12th, uh, 2020. CISA released a statement that confirmed, quote, there is no evidence that any voting system deleted or lost votes, changed votes, or was in any way compromised. The statement was signed by various government and voting industry officials, including the presidents of the National Association of State Election Directors and the National Association of Secretaries of State. Everybody involved in the voting was like, this is not true. That did not stop multiple Fox News hosts like Lou Dobbs and Sean Hannity and Maria Bartiroma and Janine Pirro from continuously trotting out the conspiracy on television. But behind the scenes, the Fox News powers that be were discussing it very differently. When Dominion sued Fox to the tune of over a billion dollars in damages... (laughs) That's yeah. a lot. Well, yeah. damn. Dude, yeah, they're a billion dollar company. And they lost contracts because I don't blame 100%. Yeah. They yeah. lost street cred. Mm-hmm. They lost everything. Their attorneys received all communications regarding the issue in legal discovery, and it is eye opening. Tucker Carlson was incredibly vocal in private communications about the absurdity of the conspiracy theory, at one point, dismissing them as, quote, ludicrous and, quote, off the rails. Here's one conversation he had with his producer, Alex Pfeiffer. Carlson, quote, we worked really hard to build what we have. Those fuckers are destroying our credibility. It enrages me. Carlson says, quote, at this point, we're getting hurt no matter what. Pfeiffer uh, responded back. He said, it's a hard needle to the thread, but I really think many on our side are being reckless demagogues right now. These are private conversations, right? Carlson says, quote, of course they are. We're not going to follow them. What Trump is good at is destroying things. He's the undisputed world champion of that. He could easily destroy us if we play it wrong. Later on, he follows up with Pfeiffer, quote, do the executives understand how much credibility and trust we've lost with our audience? We're playing with fire, for real. An alternative like Newsmax could be devastating to us. The software bullshit is absurd. 
But is this Rupert pulling the strings on this, or is, does he have like uh, like a couple levels of? We're gonna get into this. Okay, sure. okay, okay, okay. But yeah, but I mean, this he, is funny. This intimate conversation of yeah. two people that are selling a bill of goods they don't believe in. Yeah, absolutely. They're just the wow. faces for it, yeah. and yeah, they're yeah. just having to pump out what the monitor shows. Pfeiffer responds the next day, "Quote: I don't think there is evidence of voter fraud that swung the election." But later, when the ratings start dropping at Fox, they begin to panic and talk about the need to air the election fraud bullshit. Pfeiffer to Carlson, quote, Many viewers were upset that we didn't cover election fraud. It's all our viewers care about right now. Carlson, quote, I just hate this fucking shit. <laughs> yeah. Hey, good for you, Tucker. But then he went on air and exactly. fucking sold that bill of yeah. goods about yeah. how the election was stolen. <laughs> yeah. That's just how he really feels. Mm-hmm. Which is why Discovery is always so interesting. Because yeah. this is the real conversations yep. that are happening. Tommy Firth, one of the producers for Laura Ingram's show, agreed. He texted another producer, quote, This Dominion bullshit is going to give me a fucking aneurysm. As many times as I've told Laura it's BS, she sees fucking posters and Trump tweeting it. There's so much conversation going on in the background between the powers that be at Fox about how bullshit this is. Tucker Carlson calling Sidney Powell, quote, a complete nut. Tucker Carlson calling Donald Trump, quote, a demonic force, a destroyer. Oh, wow. And yet, when it comes to airtime, it's a complete 180. In a deposition in January, Rupert Murdoch admitted that he had known it was a lie, but had allowed it to play out for ratings. Oh. According to the filing, after Murdoch watched Powell and Rudy Giuliani make false claims of electoral fraud during a press conference on November 19, 2020, he told Fox News Media CEO Suzanne Scott, quote, terrible stuff, damaging everybody, I fear. Wow. And a couple weeks later, wrote to Scott again saying, quote, it's been suggested our primetime three should independently or together say something like the election is over and Joe Biden won. And that such a statement would go a long way to stop the Trump myth that the election was stolen. Huh. He also admitted that some of his hosts endorsed Trump's election lies because they were, as he allegedly wrote of Sean Hannity in particular, quote, scared to lose viewers. Could absolutely see that yeah 100% absolutely I mean you gotta it's like self-preservation right yeah you just kind of do what you got to do to keep your numbers up keep you, the attention and you try to like almost try to tread water through situations like this ethics right? be you, damned right yeah absolutely you know? you, yeah most important thing is your numbers are good yeah don't worry about uh, inciting a potential civil war yeah it, it may not be the hill you want to die on, but you'll go along with it. You know, you'll Jeez. you'll sell something you don't believe in. I didn't even include. There was so much in there. when this uh, like data dump got put out here a couple of weeks ago. There's so much there. So many conversations where you're like, these fuckers knew the whole time that like, what they were talking about yeah. was bullshit. And then they show up on TV and they just fucking run it, dude. So this goes beyond standard like partisan leaning like punditry. They engage in a known lie that has obviously hardened the divide in the country. And for what? Ratings. Money. Yep. As of today, Rupert Murdoch is 91 years old, just recently divorced his fourth wife, and probably isn't long for this world. Just a few years back, he tripped and fell on his son's yacht and broke a few vertebrae and suffered a spinal hematoma. It looked like it would be the end for him, but he survived. And as I mentioned earlier, the Rupert Murdoch story is dynastic in nature. Even if old Rupert had broken his neck falling down the mahogany stairs of one of his yachts, his death won't be the end of the media reign that goes all the way back to the 1920s. <laughs> a legacy that includes the inherent partisanship of news coverage, buttressed by a willingness to knowingly twist the truth or outright lie to achieve goals for a, a variety of special interests. As we speak right now, there is a real struggle between his two sons, Lachlan and James, over who will take over the empire when Rupert finally does kick the proverbial bucket. 
They had been waiting in the wings, training for the day when they can assume the helm. Uh, and as friends of the Murdochs like to say, Murdoch didn't raise children. He raised future media moguls. And while the truth is that neither Lachlan nor James are likely to change the media empire into a force for good, Lachlan, the one who seems most likely to take the reins, strikes me as a version of his father on steroids. Uh-oh. So it really doesn't look promising. So buckle up for another generation of the Murdoch empire influencing global life in a less than helpful way. Final scores, boys. Wow. Interesting. Huh. So, I mean, his kids have got to be like 60. If he's 91. there. Well, he had four marriages. Yeah. The first one, and again, if you get into succession, they actually really sort of nail it because okay. the oldest is played by the dude from... Ferris Bueller's Day Off, the the, the Cameron? Cameron Cameron, really, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And Cameron is the the dude that's like the first marriage and stuff like that, but he's sort of just like, you know, doesn't know what he's doing. He's just kind of hanging around. And then you have the two other brothers that are like both really, really engaged, and that's from the second marriage and the sister. And so as I was reading this, I was like, oh fuck, dude! Like the people that wrote Succession are like knew a lot about it. Yes, exactly, yes. And, and 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 it tracks. So they are like uh, Lachlan and James, I think, are in their late 40s maybe early 50s okay something like that okay. and it's a it's a real struggle between both of them and james himself has a, a wife that's actually like fairly liberal and uh rupert hates her huh and so there's a certain point where james is going to take over and he was really trying to pivot away from hey let's stop with just being like a conservative fucking stalwart and let's just try to deliver like the good things be fair and balanced yeah right, to an right. extent or whatever yeah exactly and and and, and lackland came back and, and is absolutely just like no 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 we're sticking to the old model this is what mm-hmm. works and it does work it fucking obviously works yeah, yeah. yeah. this know? is what generates the income keeps the uh, clicks in and yeah. that's the other intangible thing that is tough to get into with rupert murdoch is that he showed an entire group of people that you can do this and it's incredibly profitable. Yep. And if you're entirely like profit oriented and driven, then you don't care Ethics about getting damned. it right. Yes. Yeah. One hundred percent. So and you see so many spinoffs of yeah. that, like OWN and any kind oh, of yeah, just yeah, news yeah. network, right? Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, Vice news, now. They're, they're and, terrified of Newsmax and OAN and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and you have people like Candace Owens and stuff like that that they've figured out like this is I can do this. I don't even have to really believe in it. You know, you put on that face. Obviously, we just saw text messages and all that stuff where what their real thoughts are completely different right. than what they're projecting. And that's that's really bad. Mm-hmm. There's what mind. I believe and there's what Candace Owen believes. And there's what like, pays the bills. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. You know. So anyways, yeah, that's it. So let's get final scores. Randy, what you got? All right. So I think, you know, my biggest takeaway at the end of this is really the part that he played in the wedge that drives America even today. Right. It's it's I don't I think we're any more divided than I've ever seen, Absolutely. Um, you know, in my lifetime in, in terms of, you know, politicized things and just right and left and ideology. And and this is something that we've been seeing culminate our entire lives. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that really, started yeah. in our in our, our in our teenage yeah, years. Especially for sure. the 90s, yeah. yeah. And we've seen it play out throughout, you know, the past 20, 30 years. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So it is. It's it's a very divisive country we live in right now and this dude plays a major part in a big piece of it so yeah um and not, not just here i mean he was oh, yeah. absolutely integral in, in the brexit move yeah and i was about to say over Europe. multiple yeah. Cl- continents yeah. uh, in australia with like all the environmental regulations that have been tossed I and mean, he's everywhere yeah so looking at our scale of folks that have been in the courtroom 
he lines up really closely with a guy I'm going to put him right next to. So my final score for Rupert Murdoch is a 7.51, just a shade above Steve Jobs at 7.5. Okay. All right, buddy, what do you got? All right, well, this was uh, definitely an interesting episode for me. Um, I didn't realize that, you know, like what his history was and how like, you know, we had kind of just alluded to how he started off in Australia, planted his roots there. And then spread it. <laughs> <laughs> it's rooted. Nicely done. Nice to bring that back. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so rooted up. He's rooted in Australia. Right. And then, uh, you know, went out and You spread. know what? Hang on. I'm sorry to interrupt, buddy. We did not do many uh, shitty Australian accents. We did, and we really avoided it. <sighs> yeah. I was... usually go hard on accents and yeah. disappoint all. But, yeah, I felt... I, I it know, was I, tough. I, I, I wanted there was a, a number of quotes from him that I wanted to give him like full on like <laughs> bogan accent, but he obviously he's not. He's an international man of mystery. He's not going to be like, "I fuck off, cunt." Who wears bow ties? Yeah. He's the Austin Powers. That's right. That's right. Sorry, buddy. Go ahead. But yeah, I didn't realize that you know uh, he started off in Australia and then went on to the UK and then went and conquered the US. But through each time, it was like he was just kind of like. Planning the seeds and then executing, getting somebody elected, mm-hmm. getting a bunch of favors off of that. And uh, yeah, no, that's crazy about how he just basically has a global grip. Yeah. Yeah. Um, David Frum, who was a, a, a really respected conservative like pundit for a long time and actually ended up during the Trump administration sort of being like jettisoned because he was like, this is fucking insane. Mm-hmm. Had a, a quote where he was like, we thought that we own Fox News. As it turned out, Fox News owned us. Yeah. Yeah. The more we talk about this, I mean, he just kind of seems like a mob boss at the end of the day. Like he's going through, he's acquiring everything that he wants, doesn't care what he's doing in the process to to acquire it. And hey, we might have some losses along the way, but I'm going to end up, you know, the victor at the end of the day. Um, So for me, he kind of, you know, I'm not going to say that he has as many bodies on him as say like a John Gotti or something like Mm -hmm. that. But the way that he can kind of go in and politically manipulate anything that he wants and he can get the tides to turn in his favor mm-hmm. pretty much for anything that he wants. He does remind me of that mob boss. Yeah. So for me, at the end of the day, um, I'm going to put him up there with John Gotti. I'm going to put him at an 8.33. Oh, wow. OK. 8.33. As a uh, final asshole score for Rupert Murdoch. Nice. All right, Mikey. Final thoughts. Okay. Uh, actually, it's funny that you brought up John Gotti because I was like looking at our scales here and I was like, you know, it's, John Gotti's uh, deficiencies are so much more tangible, right? You have bodies on the thing. Yeah. Right? yeah. You're like, whatever. And it's hard to sit here and say, like I said, I, I don't think that Rupert Murdoch's like killed somebody. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like not, not, not pull the trigger. But the intangibles are the damage that he's caused that have created uh, sorts of issues. And it also depends on like, how do you feel about this? To, to some people, he's a hero. Right. You know, to me, he's not. Right. He's not. To me, I'm like you, uh, you know, regardless of even how I feel about anybody that's like intentionally willing to uh, sort of like drive a wedge into an entire nation for ratings and stuff like that is is awful. It's it's just really bad. And uh, like I said, I mean, I I feel like there's a lot of damage that's done in terms of uh, things like even like Brexit. That was a fucking rough move. I, I think they're finally understanding how bad that was for them economically and look what he did to dominion like the whole company as yeah, a whole yeah. you know yeah. yeah dominion may end up being like some sort of weird savior like getting those uh the, the discovery was mind-blowing to me sure and it's really not getting talked about but i'm like oh my god 
look how much they're just straight up lying, lying. to your face. Lying yeah. to your face. Yep. And they and, and and the people that watch it just don't care. You know, they may not even believe the discovery. No, you know they, don't. I mean? they exactly. don't. Exactly. They'll find it. a reason yeah. not to. At the end of the day, like, what can you really do as like an individual in a home and like in rural Georgia, South yeah. Carolina, anywhere in the United States? What can you really do to change this, the situation? You can stop watching bullshit. Yeah, but I that's hear you. I feel. Yeah, I know. But that's, a, you know, like, so but at least they're at least getting something from that. And yeah, I feel like, I mean, that's the thing is that it's, uh, I, I, you know, it's sort of a reflection of society as a whole. And it's what, mm -hmm. and, and they give people what they want, which is, you know, I don't know how that translates into who's the bad guy or what or whatever. I feel like it's just sort of accelerated a lot lately, especially in the past like three decades. But, and one of the things that I thought about too, that in my original uh, opening talks about him. I was like talking about how he did the Simpsons or he was in charge of Fox while the yeah. Simpsons yeah. And, and Living Color and, and thank all you that. for that. Simpsons and Living Color is fucking yeah. amazing. Amazing. But he does kind of remind me of like he kind of in my mind he parallels Mr. Burns almost right. in a way like yeah, just excellent. like excellent. <laughs> yeah. You know. yeah. I don't know. I mean like I said it's it's so you know getting back to the idea of like the tangible uh, damage that he's caused it's it's easier to drop a score for a guy like a uh, you know I don't know a murderer or something like that with him it's it's really a little bit like more nebulous but I'm gonna score him I'm gonna score him at a you know 8.5 I think what he's doing is catastrophic for us as a nation and not just us but for the UK and for everybody else like you know, it shouldn't be allowed to be treated as uh, news if it's not there there needs to be tighter regulations and um, I don't even necessarily fault him for that. He's going to do what he's going to do. It's like a, a company's job is to make money and to consolidate power and stuff like that. Like we've got to figure out a way to like prevent this from happening in the future. Yeah. It's almost like how, uh, what was it when, um, uh, Donald Trump went on something where he was talking about how the system is rigged. Yeah. And he's standing, maybe it was one of the presidential debates and he's standing up there with Barack Obama and Hillary mm. and he's like, the system is rigged and I know it's rigged because I manipulate that same system yeah. and I've used it to my benefit. Yeah. And that's all Rupert Murdoch is doing in a sense yeah. is manipulating the mm -hmm. system to his benefit. Yeah. It's the scorpion, and the frog thing, you know, yeah. the, the, the scorpion like convinces the frog to give him a ride across the river or whatever. And then he stings him at the end. And he was like, why did you do that? He's like, I'm a fucking scorpion. That's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know I'm saying yeah. like, it's what it is. He's a known quantity. You have to find ways to stop that. So Anyways, I, like I said, I, this is enjoy. I hope you enjoyed your broccoli episode of uh, AHC podcast, <laughs> your education episode, and uh, I'll get off my soapbox here. But it is, it is troubling. So yeah, I've I've, I've got them at uh, an eight point five. All right, with a seven point five one from Randy, an eight point three three from Buddy, and an eight point five from Mikey. Rupert Murdoch's final asshole score is an eight point one one. All right, eight point one one. Interesting company. Bonnie and Clyde came in at 8.1, and Pat Robertson came in at 8.17. Hmm. I was looking at Pat Robertson, too, as I was kind of looking at my final scores. But They're equivalent, just a different demographic. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Excellent. All right, 8.11. Good stuff. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Asshole Court. As always, go check us out on Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash A-H-C podcast. Got to put the whole thing in there to find us. Uh, we've got all kinds of stuff on our Patreon page. Obviously, all of our shows are ad-free over there. Uh, no breaks, input, and polls on upcoming shows. Uh, swag, sticker, all the good shit. Absolutely, uh, Mikey alluded to it earlier. Appreciate all the five-star reviews. We definitely like getting them. I like reading them. Um, so just, you know, good stuff. We appreciate the support. It makes us feel good. 
Be kind to one another. We'll see you next time on Asshole Court.